Well, I'm sure that you've been there. You're walking through the mall or the airport, minding your own business, when suddenly, out of nowhere, it creeps up on you and seizes control of you. That indescribably amazing smell of fresh, hand-rolled, soft pretzels from Auntie Anne's. You are instinctively led to the back of the line and begin deciding which of the pretzels and dips you're going to choose from. Hey, I've been there, and if you're not familiar with Auntie Anne's pretzels, you are missing out. This is Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope, and I'm Mike Stone. On today's show, we have the great honor of talking with the founder of Auntie Anne's Pretzels, Ann Byler. If you thought that Ann was just another entrepreneur who wanted to make it big in the food industry, you would be mistaken. Ann's story instead starts in an Amish family in a small town in Pennsylvania. Her story is like many from her Amish upbringing, but as a young adult, she was abruptly met with tragedy, deep despair, secrets, and ultimately, healing and redemption. And yes, we'll talk about those mouth-watering, freshly baked pretzels too. I wish I could figure out how to share one of those Auntie Anne's pretzels with you through your device while you're listening. Well, maybe next time. Hey, if you only listen to one podcast this week, make sure it's this one. Anne's story will undoubtedly have you reaching for a box of tissues, but leave you full of hope and encouragement. If you've ever been in a place of despair or hopelessness, you will want to listen to the story of finding true peace and joy in Jesus Christ. From Ann Byler's Conversation of Hope, from Behind the Mic. And thank you so much for joining us. My goodness, we had some uh, we had some troubles getting together here tonight. <laughs> Technology, right? <laughs> but we persevered, so here we, we are. We did, we did, and I'm so grateful to have you on, and great to meet you. I remember the first time in a mall, and I smelled this heavenly, beautiful smell. It's it's addicting, and I I love it, but. Uh, I saw Auntie Anne's pretzels and I told my wife, I said, let's try this. And I remember walking away after we tried it and loved it, by the way. We got the <laughs> lemonade and the pretzels. And I said, you know, I'm sure some guy stole this from his grandmother and he just made it Auntie Anne's <laughs> so that it sounded homemade and sweet and everything. Um, but that's not the case. My goodness, there really is an Auntie Anne. Yeah, there could be so- nothing further from the truth. <laughs> You know, maybe it's just me, but when I think of a typical founder of a business like Auntie Anne's, I picture somebody who's naturally just an entrepreneur, somebody who's very driven, someone who has great business savvy, catches some big breaks and makes it big, but that's not your story. Mm, far from it. <laughs> yeah. I so, so I did research. I do this for all my podcasts, but I did research. And the more I the more I read your story, the more I was just like this, I've got to have her on because you have such an amazing God story mm-hmm. and so many things that happened. First yeah. of all, let's start with you were born into a family of what would be considered old order Amish. Is that, that right? That's correct. Yes. So it, old yeah. order means no electricity, no cars or trucks, no telephones, conservative clothing. Is that right? You, you got the picture. It's, that's correct. Yeah. Well, I'm in Ohio, and yeah, we, yeah, we have we have Amish around, and and I'm always amazed. You just see them in the fields, and tell us about that. What growing up Amish? Nobody would have guessed, and you don't look Amish. Well, when if I don't look Amish, that means I am no longer Amish. Okay. <laughs> sometimes when i go out to speak someone will ask me are you still amish and i'm always my my response to that is do i look amish yeah no you don't you don't right there yeah we'll we'll have pictures for the podcast (laughs) listeners so that they can see you okay because if you if you are amish you 
everybody dresses a certain way. So sure. that you're, you're totally set apart. And when people look at you, they know that you're Amish. So yeah. uh, my, my mom and dad were old order Amish, uh, as you described, and they came from big families. So my mom from family of nine, my dad from a family of 11. And I grew up in a family where there was eight of us kids, five boys and three girls, which is a very typical, still to this day, very common and typical Amish uh, family. Uh, mm. At the age of three, my mom and dad left the old order Amish and they went to what we call the Amish Mennonite, which was basically black car Amish meant back in the day. It meant that um, we were allowed to have a black car. We could have electricity, a telephone. Uh, and my dad was able to farm with uh, tractors instead of horses. And that's really wow. kind of the reason why he left the old order Amish because he did not want to uh, farm with horses. So, uh, but, but growing up in that, um, um, in that culture and making that switch at the age of three uh, really didn't make any difference to me because um, I was in that in that community all of my life in church and all of my aunts and uncles and there's a hundreds of us and um, sure. uh, growing up in that uh, culture was very we looked Amish but again we had the black car the electricity telephone and my dad had a tractor so uh, the other the, what, what I grew up with though was going from the old order to the black car Amish was that um, we in 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 that denomination, we were able to go to Sunday school and we learned a lot about Bible stories. And the old order Amish, they don't have Sunday school. They only have church twice a month. And basically mm -hmm. what they hear uh, from the pulpit is what they learn. Um, things have changed a bit and they do have Bibles and they do read their Bibles more. And there has been a real move movement toward God and, and the word of God in the Amish culture in the recent, I want to say 10 to 20 years. So okay. it was a very, very secure lifestyle. And what you described yeah. about, you see people working out in the farm and in their, in their gardens. And uh, uh, for the most part, their farms and their yards and their gardens are, are, are immaculate. I mean, they're, yeah. You can't find a weed on the property if uh, it's just um, we're taught to manage what God has given us and do it well and take uh, take care of the things that we have. So that was really the way I grew up. And mom and dad taught me, you know, great things about about life. And that was uh, in our family. It was all about faith. It was about family. It was about community. And we learned as kids that we work together as a team and you work hard. And if you work hard, the you know, there are rewards to working hard, you know, a job Absolutely. well done, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's just, it was a great, great start. And some people have asked me already, you know, wow, that must've been hard. Or did you feel like you were missing out? I'm like, no, I, I, I felt like the whole world was like we were, I, and I didn't know anything different, but looking back now, Mike, I'm like, it's a great way. For it's a great start in life, and without yeah. the things that mom and dad taught me, I would never have been able to persevere into uh, as we started Aunt Anne's and faced all the obstacles on a daily basis. Mm. Um, but what I learned on the farm was perseverance and faith in God and family life. So it was a great start for me. One of the things that I noted in in looking at the Amish Mennonite was uh, ed education stops at eighth grade. That's correct. And and so the, what I read from your story after eighth grade, soon after that, you married Jonas, who I got to meet earlier. You're Prince Charming, and he was also Amish. That's correct. And by the time you reached 25 years of age, you had two daughters. Mm -hmm. Life, you even alluded, life was looking pretty good at the time. I clearly remember those days. Mike Jonas and I dated for three and a half years, and I got married at the age of 19. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's that's common and normal in the Amish and the Amish Mennonite culture. They really teach and train you, role model, family life. And so by the time I was 19, sure. I, I was ready to be married. And yeah. uh, and Jonas, uh, the same way growing up Amish. And um, so we had at that time, we left the uh, Amish Mennonite church and we actually um, attended a Mennonite church, a very conservative Mennonite church. And we were just um, really living life. And I remember telling Jonas back in the early days of our marriage, you know, life couldn't be any better. I cannot imagine uh, life getting any better than what it is. So we were a happily married couple living our dream. My only dream as a, a little Amish Mennonite girl was to uh, have my very own family, just like my mom and dad. And I wanted to be a good wife. I wanted to be a good mother. And I wanted to have a happy family. And 
uh, one of the things that, that was actually became a stumbling block to me was that in that culture, I, I believed by the time that I got married that if I was a good girl, that if I kept all the Ten Commandments, that God would be very pleased with me. But if I didn't, if I did something wrong or I was a bad girl or displeased God or my parents, uh, then God would could be angry with me. So I believed that life is good because I really never experienced any hardships like majorly in, in my growing up years. I believe that life is good and that God is harsh. And But what I, what I know today is I was confused. My theology was not good. And so when I found myself later in, in our married life and experiencing some um, tragedy and trauma, I, I was totally confused because I could not, I didn't understand why God would allow bad things to happen to us and to me because I really was a pretty good girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, Anne, I, I, I didn't come from the Amish background. I grew up very similarly, though, in thought and, and yes. felt like as long as I was not sinning, as long as I, like you said, follow the Ten Commandments, God would bless me. Yes. And But if I messed up, boy, look out. And mm-hmm. and, and I understand that. I get mm-hmm. that. And, and it's hard to understand grace, especially mm-hmm. when you're you're brought up. Now, my parents didn't raise me that way. That's just the way I thought. But it's hard. It's hard to understand the concept of grace. Absolutely. And I feel like that's really a very good description then of religion. It's, it's, it's more about a religion yeah. than it is about a relationship with Christ, which we experienced um, in our early 20s, uh, a really um, a, a hunger and a thirst and an excitement for Christ. And we, we got on this path of just, uh, and we were living in that very, very exciting time when we began to understand grace and, and uh, relationship with Christ. And, and then it was after that is when we experienced our, our uh, pain and uh, uh, trauma. Yeah. Yeah, can you talk about that? I I read, uh, and this is where my, I guess my vision of who Auntie Anne was, was just completely flipped upside down because I just imagined that whoever this person was had everything and, you know, went through the all the college business classes and, and all of that. And and when I got to the point of even past the Amish point, but the, the tragedy that hit when you were only 25 years of age with that mentality like we just talked about of not understanding grace can you can you share that with us what happened and then where that left you i can't even imagine yeah so i was a i was a faithful wife and i was faithful to god all those years and i was i felt like i was doing all the right things and uh, we were youth pastors at our current church at that time which was a very um exciting time for us and we had over 200 young people and it was just we were living our dream and uh when our 19 month old uh, sweet angie angela joy walked from my our double wide trailer to my mom and dad's house which we were on the on the same property and between our house and, and their house, uh, my dad was uh, had a, a small business where my sister would take the bobcat and she would load and unload sand in the morning. And uh, that particular morning, Angie, as she walked out uh, my, my front door at the double wide tr- in our trailer there, um, I watched her go. And we'd had a company for breakfast and I was thinking about, I got to clean up my kitchen and I, I, I felt busy. And But it was very common for Angie to make her little trek up to my mom's house. And I would always call my mom and say, Angie's on the way. And it was, always, it was very safe. And my sister uh, always looked for the grandkids around her. And um, that particular morning I stood at the door and I watched Angie go until she got around the, the, the corner of the barn. And I went back to my phone, which in the day we had a phone on the wall, wall phones. And uh, I reached for the phone and I was going to call mom. And when I did, I heard this horrific uh, screaming and just, it was piercing. And Mm -hmm. I remember just dropping the phone and I stood there frozen in my, in my, just, I I was, felt like I was frozen. And I knew at that moment, I I, I knew mothers, uh, we have intuition that we know a lot about our kids. We know what's going on. Yeah. And in my heart, I knew that Angie was gone. I knew it was about Angie, and I felt like she was gone. And I just stood there for a while, just kind of walked in circles in my little kitchen. Then I walked to the front door. And when I got to the door, my dad was running around, the, just coming around the corner where I had last seen Angie holding her body and just wailing and saying, I believe she's dead. I believe she's dead. And um, 
well, obviously that moment um, changed our life. Um, the trauma of it, the grief of it. Um, I had never experienced anything close to that in my life. And I was not prepared. And I'm really not sure, Mike, that anyone is prepared for tragedy or trauma. We really, uh, how can we be prepared for that? It's right. it, it's probably not possible. And and yeah. as, as this uh, began to unfold, um, my life just went into, the grief was so deep. And the, the emotional pain was so deep. I, I, I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the verbal skills to talk about how I'm feeling. I didn't even know about my emotions or uh, feeling words. Like we know a little bit more about that today. But yeah. so all I knew to do was to just kind of, uh, I began to withdraw. And Jonas and I had a very uh, exciting marriage and we were happy. And we had the two girls and life was good. And um, when that happened, Jonas and I began to drift apart. And after a few months, uh, I was no longer, we, we existed together and we were no longer able to connect as husband and wife. And um, I, I just, I grieved so deeply. But what I did, Mike, was I began to live a life of I pretended that I was okay because I didn't know what else to do. And if you would have asked me back in the day how I'm doing, I would have been quick to tell you, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I, never, I never wanted to bother anybody about how I was feeling. Number one, I didn't know what to say about it, but I didn't feel like anybody would care or would even want to listen to me. So I feel like mm. often, like in our silence, we feel like we have to carry our pain because we almost feel like, like that's a spiritual strength that we have. Like I can do this all by myself. Uh, there's nothing yeah. further from the truth because I believe that God created us to connect one with another. Alone we die, connected we live. But I was becoming more and more alone in my pain. And I began to withdraw and isolate myself. And after five months, I decided to go talk to my pastor who, uh, who we'd known for a number of years, a few years. And uh, I went to uh, ask just to, I felt like he could at least help me. And uh, so I went to see him. And before I left his office that day, he took advantage of me physically. And uh, I knew there was something uh, really not okay about that. I knew that was really bad, and I blamed myself, but I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about abuse. I didn't know anything about abuse of spiritual power or sexual abuse. Or, mm. But I knew what he did to me was not okay. And because it wasn't okay, I, I didn't know how to tell anybody what he did to me. Sure. Now, that's so yeah. silly. In the world in which we live today, there's so much more information but you know what's interesting mike is that it's still happening you know mm, abuse abuse of spiritual power and uh, sexual abuse uh, kids women it's it's rampant and uh, but i didn't know what to do with that so i decided i would keep it a secret and that secret then took me into almost six years of uh, sexual abuse in every form uh, mm. by my pastor uh, which uh, angie's death took me into deep grief but the abuse by my pastor took me uh, into a place of darkness and confusion. And I thought that I was going to die there spiritually. I thought I was going to choke to death spiritually. And it took me into a place of despair that I found myself in that I knew I would never get out. I knew that, Mike. I knew. There was not a doubt in my mind. Uh, I felt like I believed I was unlovable. I was unforgivable, and I was unchangeable. And God's grace for me was somewhere out there. It was, it, it was out there for the whole world. I, I still believe God's grace was for the whole world. But I didn't think there was enough of grace for me because I should yeah. know better. I should know better, right? Yeah. And uh, so that then just really took me into a life of secrets. And there's a whole, I write in my book, The Secret Lies Within. I really talk about how I dealt with the secrets and the how secrets kill you, and uh, how I I ended up um, simply I was a shell. I was a, I was a shell. I I hated who I'd become. I, I felt like a terrible mom. I, I knew I was a bad wife, yeah. and this whole time I really felt like I was um, betraying Jonas and my family and my God, and I. I, I, I had lost. I lost me. I lost Ann Byler. And when you lose yourself, it's really hard to find yourself again. But yeah. here, I, here I am. And it's, yeah. I love Praise to, uh, there's one line I love to say I'm here today because of the power of grace and one, one really good man in my life. 
Mm-hmm. You know, as I was reading through your story, I kept thinking at that point, you could have given up. And then the next step at that point, you could have given up. Mm-hmm. And in fact, your world became, as you said, so very dark and depression. And, and you even mentioned at one point, suicide was very real consideration to you. Yes, it was. It was. It was so dark that I really felt like I was fighting. Uh, my term that I used after I got out of my darkness was I felt like I was fighting the very gates of hell. And I felt like I was yeah. on this cliff um, holding on with just my fingers knowing any minute I'm going to fall into this abyss and I would never come back again. And, you know, th- that's, that is uh, darkness. That That's so dark that, that you cannot, it, it's almost like you cannot get out yourself. There's, yeah. you know, there's many people live there every single day. I was there for, for seven, eight years. And, you know, the thing that turned it all around for me was there were three things that I learned during uh, the the darkness of soul in my life. And that was, um, uh, I call it the three types of confession. Uh, number one is, I call it bedside prayers. I wept my way through those seven years, but mm. nobody, nobody saw me cry. Yeah. I wept my way through by my bedside. The number two way, the second form of confession is the journaling, writing, uh, doing like the psalmist David did. I mean, how many of us love David? We mm. love him because yeah. he's real. He wrote everything that he felt and thought. And we're like, sometimes I'm like, ah, uh, did he really just say that? But David yeah. was real. He was real. And I began to journal, and my feelings scared me as I would read about them on paper. I'm like, wow. So I did the bedside prayers. I did the journals. And then the third form of confession is found in James 5.16. And it's a very small verse. It's kind of tucked away in James. I think many of us know it, but uh, it became real to me. It's uh, confess your faults one to another. It's what we're doing right now, Mike. I'm, I'm telling yeah. you my story. Uh, yeah. Confess your faults, your sins, your struggles, your failures, all the things that bother you, one to another. And then right in the middle of that, it says, and pray for each other, and then you'll be healed. Now, what I, mm-hmm. what I believe is that we all, uh, we all know how to pray for each other, because I, I, I may tell you before we hang up today, I'll pray for you, Mike. You yeah. know, that's it's kind of a line that we use. And sometimes yeah. we pray for people. Sometimes we don't. It's just something that we say. It kind of yeah. unhooks us from the person and the problems they're facing. But the one to another confession is action. And as I was praying one day, God just said to me, get up off your knees and go tell your husband. Hmm. And let me tell you, my palms sweating, my heart racing, everything inside of me, my 90-pound little body, there was a shell. I knew there was no hope for me. I knew that tomorrow, if it was going to, if, if tomorrow would come again, that life was over, no matter, life was over for me. And that yeah. if I told Jonas, I knew for sure that he would divorce me. Yeah. And as God prompted me to do that, and I, 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 I finally gave in and I with all the courage that I could muster up inside of my little body I got in my little blue Toyota pickup truck and I drove to his body shop and Mike that was that was the beginning of a new life for me when I say that I don't mean it was a miracle it was an instant but it was the beginning of of obedience to this principle that I knew nothing about at that time it went against everything that you wanted to do or not do Absolutely. at that point. Absolutely. I mean, and you had, you had lost a child and then you had confided in someone who you knew to be your spiritual a mentor. Absolutely. And, and you trusted in him and he took advantage of you, which just, I can't even imagine expressing the grief that you were feeling and having that just taken away from you and even added grief upon grief and shame upon shame. Um, my goodness, I, I can't, that's what amazes me is that, as I said earlier, you, you came to a point where I thought you could have easily given up and then you could have given up after that, but you persevered kind of as we did on this call when we, <laughs> we started to get on this call and we had a hard time, but you, you did though, you persevered and you, you fought even when you didn't have any fight left in you, oh, That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you, you fought through your confession 
And I love those three. We'll go through those again. So you're on your way doing something that you had no idea oh. what the outcome was going to be. In fact, you probably, as I would have guessed, knew what the outcome probably would oh. be. I knew for sure that Mike was yeah. going to, like that Jonas would divorce me. There was no doubt in my mind. That's why I never told him because I, I sure. still as weird as this sounds, I still wanted to be family. That's all I ever wanted in life. I didn't. I didn't care. This was long before Auntie Anne's. So, I, oh, sure, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't uh, interested in a career or doing anything to make a big. Li- it, it was really my family was what I wanted, and mm-hmm. and when I finally was able to tell my husband, I was so broken that I was only able to tell him two short lines. At the end of that, I said to him, "I'm sorry," and I'm a sorry person. And the look on his face made me turn around and walk away. There was no hugging. I didn't touch him. He didn't say, I forgive you. He didn't, I didn't give him a chance to say anything because I, the look in his eyes was, he is going to divorce me. And I went home and I waited for hours for him to come back because he left work and just, he just got disoriented about the truth of it all. Sure. And eventually yeah. came home and that night we talked and um, th- the power of the one to another confession found in James five sixteen. I want our listeners to really, it, it's hard to really uh, grasp the power of this small little truth, but it has become a way of life for me. And the, that night when Jonas came back, um, he said, "Hun, we need to talk about what you told me today. And I did not want to talk about it. I, I, I mean, that's all I wanted to say about it. I just had to get it off sure. my head and, and, and yeah. bring it into the light. And he said, I know that you haven't been happy. And I thought it was because of Angie's death. But he said, I really do want you to be happy. He said, promise me that you won't leave a note on the dresser in the middle of the night. But rather, would you please just tell me if you need to go, if you need to go somewhere just, just let me know and I'll help you. We'll talk about it and we'll find a place and I'll help you pack whatever, whatever you need. But he said, I want you to know if you go, you have to take the girls with you because they need their mother. Let me tell you something about that, Mike. Isn't that the way Jesus feels about you and I, everyone that feels downhearted, downcast, despaired, at the point of suicide, yeah. he still believes in us. He still sees the potential in us. And that yeah. night, Jonas believed in me. It took, it took my breath away because yeah. I did not believe in Ann Byler anymore. I, I, was, I was lost. I hated me. Yeah. And he's telling me that I'm still good enough to be a mother to our two daughters. That's was the beginning of God's redemption in my life, in our marriage, in our family. And that Auntie Anne's became a part of that redemption. And I believe, truly believe the power of confession is so powerful. It's life changing. And if it wasn't for that one single confession, there would be no Auntie Anne's today. I know that's, that's, that's heavy, that's a lot, but I, I know that in my spirit. And I want to just say to the listeners that you don't know what's on the other side of where you, where you really want to be. We don't like being in this dark place, but we don't know how to get out. We don't know how to move forward. Yeah. But I can tell you, there's, there, there's probably only one way to move forward, and that is for you to open up your heart um, be real, transparent, begin to tell someone. I call it a new view of confession. You know, because when we think about confession, like we, we're like, it's subjective. I don't want, oh, I'm going to have to tell somebody about, oh, what I did. It was so bad. It's kind of, it's very subjective. Yeah. But I see it as a new view of confession. It's really meant to transform us. It's really meant to free us. It's really meant for us to be able to have a healthy open and honest and transparent relationships. And that's what this one scary confession did for me. It opened me up to a whole other world, my relationship with my husband, my daughters, and eventually that took us into a corporate, the corporate world and into the life of Auntie Anne's, which totally, totally transformed our lives in ways that it's hard for me to describe. I think... 
what you said was really, had you not gone through all of those things, would you have really, as fully as you do now, understood what redemption no. was, no. understood no. what grace was? No. no. And I think about that a lot. I've lived a very privileged life. My parents were, were workers, just like yours. Um, I was brought up that way. So I've not gone through the things like you've spoke about, but I hear these stories that have encouraged me since I started this podcast, and that's why I do it. Mm. It's because your story is encouraging hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people who have no hope. Yeah. As you were going through that story and, and about the loss of Angie and uh, about the the affair that was going on that you didn't want any part of, you weren't looking for that. I I had to believe there's somebody listening to this right now. Absolutely. Who's going through that same thing and is in that dark, deep, dark place that they don't feel like they can get out of. But I think that you've given them hope. It's because there is hope. There is Absolutely. hope. The, the lie that we believe is it's hopeless. You know, I've made my bed. I'm just going to have to lay in it. And you know what's That's interesting right. about that as well, Mike, is that we actually get comfortable in our pain. We, we, we mm, actually we get comfortable in our pain. So I want to just say to the listeners, you know, there is hope. And even though just like me, I could not see any further than the past the day. I didn't want to wake up to the next day. Mm, I really didn't yeah. want to. And in our pain, we have no way of knowing. How could I have known that in our pain, our purpose, my purpose was being formed. And in your pain, your purpose is being formed. And what, the, what all of that pain did for me, it's made me who I am today. It's, yeah. it's created in me a, a passion and compassion. It makes me under, it helps me understand. It gives me the kind of love for other people that when I look at them and Jonas and I, we may be driving down the road or we may be at a restaurant and someone may be, you know, unkind or just mean spirited. And we always look at each other and we say, if we only knew their story. Because mm, yeah. If we only knew each other's story, because once I know your story, then I can appreciate where you're at right now. It's, it's like, so, so all of this together has given me uh, empathy, compassion, love for those around me, and, and grace and mercy is what I needed and what I got from, from God and my family, from my husband and from my family. And, you know, the Bible says, freely you have received, so now it's time to freely give it away. Mm. And so I try to be, uh, to give all of the things that God gave to me, I try to give those away on a daily basis to those uh, who are in pain. You know, and everybody can do that. I don't care what your what your pain is, uh, what your story is. You can do that. We're going to talk about sharing your story in a little bit because I love that too. We probably should talk about pretzels. Um, I don't really want to now. I'm following your lead. Oh, so good. I mean, so so incredibly good. You have a story. I have a story. If we don't share that. We're not doing anybody any favors. It's funny tonight. I know the one thing I was going to say was we're, we're just uh, a short time away from just a matter of just, uh, less than three hours away from the presidential first presidential debate. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about how you have compassion for people, I, I look at our world today and with the COVID situation and, and with all the political stuff going on and the riots and the racism and all those things, I can't help but think if we would look at people and wonder why they're acting the way they are instead of yeah. judging people, this nation would be so much better, be so much better off. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that you need to uh, jump in a debate, one of these debates, uh, and kind of share that. I think it might change the world more than the president would. Um, let's, let's transition really quickly to pretzels. I think we probably should talk about it. That's, uh, that's what initially started years ago when I, walked down the mall and smelled that pretzel, uh, had to get that. So l talk about how that all, all started, because about this time is when Jonas actually, I believe, said, you know, we're okay now. We're on a good path. I feel like I'm called to do something. Share that with us and how that whole pretzel thing got started. 
you're right. Jonas and I both, uh, the, the work then that we put into our marriage after the initial confession was uh, hard work. And it took us, let me tell you, years to rebuild. But every, every day, um, we, we built our marriage. We worked at uh, making our marriage work and we worked for our family. It was so important to us. So it's not like a, you know, I don't want anyone to believe that, oh, you can make a confession and things are going to be just fine. It, it wasn't that right. way. I knew it was the beginning of another, a new life for us. And so right. as we, as we began to get, get better between the two of us, as we built on a relationship and, and as God just continued to uh, help us as a couple and we finally got to an okay space and Jonas decided to, uh, he was so intrigued by, uh, by human behavior. He, he had been a car mechanic. And so he was always very in, inquisitive and intrigued with how, how everything, what makes everything work. And, and so he took that inquisitive mind and he took it into psychology and began to study out of Emerge Ministries. And did, he did a correspondence course on, uh, on a layman's level for psychology. And uh, it was so exciting for both of us. So we decided that we're, we're just going to start marriage counseling for couples whenever we can out of the community, in the church, wherever, and just help people. Yeah. And it's what we were doing. And, um, and we were doing it as a free service. And we had just uh, started, we had just moved back to uh, Gap, Pennsylvania after living in Texas for 10 years from 1977 to 1987. This is where we had experienced our dark years. And um, uh, when we got home, he began to just uh, do marriage counseling and I was helping him. And after one month, uh, I said to him, "Hun, I, I don't know, this is not working. We're doing all this. Uh, it's a free service and you're, you're making about $100 a week and uh, wow. I need to go to work. And he said, well, okay, you know, so I went to work uh, to support him because Jonas was and still is my hero. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So I just found great joy in thinking, I'm just going to go and go to work and help support so that he can continue counseling couples. And that's what I did. And so I went to work making soft pretzels. Seven months later, uh, we bought our own store in uh, in Downingtown, Pennsylvania before I was managing a pretzel shop that uh, that's a whole big story about that but it's in my book and and then we bought our own store and uh, so we did two stores the first year and the next year we did 12 stores and the following year we did 35 stores so we mm-hmm. we went into business and the three things that we did not have mike was uh which if you if you're a college uh, graduate this is what they will tell you you need you need uh, uh you need a college degree you need formal education you need capital and you need a business plan and we went into auntie Anne's with with none of the above but yeah. what i know what i know is that you know i think that this world that this the the systems of this world, they kind of put us in a box and they say, if you, if you do it this way, then you're guaranteed success. And I want yeah. to encourage our listeners, you know, step outside of the box, step outside Amen. of that small box, because I believe that's where God lives. I mean, he's, he's yeah. big. And so we stepped outside the box and we knew uh, from our past experience on the farm, which is perseverance and hard work and love for people that, that somehow, somehow we would be able to, to run this business. It was one store and we were grateful and we felt very successful with one location, but the product itself was the vehicle. It was our, it was our advertising. Uh, it's, it's what we did what we did for us for advertising was to give people samples. And that's, that's what we did. And as people tasted the product, our sales continued to increase. And, and sampling is the way we built Auntie Anne's from one store to five years later, we were in Jakarta, Indonesia. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole big story there, but step outside the box and you'll see that God's plan for you is much grander than what you think it is. And when I thought I was finished all along, he was taking all of my pain and, and turning it into uh, the purpose which we are living today. So amazing from one sample. I'll tell you, I can, I can attest to the one sample is all it takes, man. Let me tell you. That's all you need and you're hooked. That's all you need. That's right. Just hand over my wallet. Um, so, yeah. And so you guys, I mean, you had this great business and, and so much success. And then what do you do? You keep growing it, right? You keep growing it. You don't sell it, but you went against all business practices and you sold it. 
tell us about that. It was this was I believe 2005 was the next big transition for Auntie Anne's pretzels. That's right, and we had been in the business about 18 years, and um, we just felt like you know we had gone far beyond what we had planned for initially. Obviously, I loved. I loved the business. I enjoyed uh, our employees. I loved our franchisees, and it, it was all. It just. I was amazed at at the um, at the excitement that was created through just a simple pretzel. And people would come to work for us, and and they just they gave us one hundred percent. And we tried to provide mm-hmm. a place for them that was a, a great workplace where it was a, a positive environment and a place where the employees could feel valued and loved and and uh, and cared for. And that to me was the most important piece of growing the company because I believe that people are our greatest asset in business. I believed it so strongly that um, that the people really became my mission, and I trained the people then to do the product. and And we yeah. we started with um, the, I call it the three small P's. If you have a great uh, purpose, you have a great product, and you have great people. Eventually, uh, you will have the capital P, which is profit, and that's what you have to have to stay in business. But we were able to. The people are really what made Auntie Anne successful, and I. I'm still, when I think about Auntie Anne's and all the people there, my heart still feels them. And whenever I'm, I'm with Auntie Anne's, I still call them, they're they're my people. I mean, they bear my name. It's, it's, it's very strange. It feels strange sometimes, but it's, it's so much a part of us and the people that we hired, we love them. They cared about us. And if you care about your people, uh, they'll, they'll carry out your purpose. It's just a, a given. Yeah. Very much so. I, I love that. So you sold 2005. You walked away. I'm guessing yeah. you had a, a, a nice, healthy bank account. You could have done anything, probably mm-hmm. anything you wanted to do for the rest of your life. That's but great. by now, everybody that's listening probably would guess you didn't go that route either. Uh, you chose to bring light into the dark places of yeah. others. And Absolutely. you continue that mission even as as, uh, as today, as we speak. First of all, I want to talk about, I'll let you share anything that you want to add to this, but uh, I, want to, I want to talk about, first of all, some resources that you have, your website. Uh, if you go to AuntieAnnBeiler.com, it's uh, Auntie Ann, like the pretzel with an E in the end, and then B-E-I-L-E-R.com. Lots of great resources there. Um, can you can you share with us? You founded an organization called Broken Silence. Uh, you also have books. Can you can you walk us through what's on your website and some of the resources you have? And I want to talk about uh, then one other thing that just I love I love about the stories. So uh, can you talk about that? Yes. So um, Broken Silence is um, it birthed uh, obviously out of my own brokenness that I experienced for so many years. And uh, the website that you can go to will take you to my stories times eight. And, uh, you know, during um, during all the years of Auntie Anne's, there was, uh, there was still a lot of things that were unresolved in my art. I, I had never, even though our marriage was, uh, was pretty healthy, um, I had never really dealt with the pain and the trauma of, of the death of our daughter and the abuse of the pastor. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and at one point then I finally broke down and started to, to work uh, on myself and to really begin to, to find healing for all of my drama and the despair. And out of that then, I realized that telling my story, I did not want to tell my story because it was too shameful. I, I felt oh, there's too much pain, blame, and shame. And I was just sure. full of, I was full of guilt and shame. And I didn't want people to know. Uh, but at one point, it, it was um, I was asked to be on the 700 Club the TV program. And um, mm-hmm. it was on that program. I was not planning on telling my story, my personal story, that asked me to show up to tell the Auntie Anne story. And I did. But it was during that time that the interview took a sudden turn and it, it was focused on my personal life. And I found myself um, sharing my personal story on public television around the world. It was um, amazing. But God took that then, and I began to understand that if I share my story, it free, it, I felt freedom in that. And so uh, the, the, the years ensuing that time, I began to understand that um, sharing my story, uh, every time I would share my story, I felt just a little more freedom. So I created this place. It's, again, Stories Time 
Christian date where I would um, invite seven women. I'd actually put it in the church bulletin and I would put the net out there and say, I need seven women to do this story. So we would do it for uh, eight weeks and there are eight women, including me. We have one woman each week would tell, would have one hour to tell her story and hmm. each week a new, uh, somebody else would tell their story. So as these women are coming into this storytelling class, they know that they have one hour to tell their story and there's complete silence. It's not, there's not interaction. It's not like a typical conversation where you tell your story and I'd chime in and tell you, Oh yeah, I understand. It's, it's one hour of complete silence. And let me tell you, um, it's a, it's a powerful concept. And, and the, um, uh, I experienced some amazing stories and the outcomes were just unbelievable to me for women. And out of the, my first 29 women that I, that came to my class, there was four sessions that I did, uh, all but one of them, uh, they had all been sexually abused, but all but one of them, and that, and most of them, all but three of them, had never ever shared their stories. And mm-hmm. from that, and I launched this. Uh, I, I just put it in full gear and decided that I really need to spend the rest of my life doing stories times eight and encouraging people to tell their stories. Not only it's not that I need to hear your story as much as. You need to tell your story. And as we begin to open up our lives, the freedom that I have experienced, Mike, from, from all the years now of sharing my story, and I, I travel around the country uh, telling my story. It sounds like you just tell your story, but you know, it's so exciting to me. And every time I tell my story, I feel so alive. It's not like, oh, I got to tell my story again. It's so boring. I don't feel like, yeah. it's, it's like it gives me yeah. life. And yeah. as we share our stories, it you see it giving life to other people in the audience. And, um, you know, the Bible is a book full of stories. And it That's really right. shouldn't surprise us then that our story, your story, Mike, is important. And we need to hear our stories to to encourage one another in our journey. Amen. I'm so behind that. That is just where my heart's at, because I believe every person that has a breath has a story. Absolutely. And I really believe, I mean, the the healing that you talk about just in sharing that with someone, we are built for relationship. God didn't just create Adam. He created his companion, Eve. We are built for relationship. And part of that is communicating and sharing with one another, our burdens. And, and I, my goodness, listen, I want to tell anybody that's listening out there who has experienced sexual abuse, who has experienced the loss of a child, anybody that feels like whatever their circumstance is, that there's no hope. Um, and you've provided that glimmer of hope that they can see through Jesus Christ. And um, I just want to thank you so much. You have encouraged me. Do you have any anything that you want to share with listeners before we close or anything else you want to add? I, I want to talk about your books really quickly. There, hope. You know, we, we can always hope. And if, if you're living in a place where you feel like life has just completely destroyed you, nearly destroyed you, uh, I want to say to you, bring your deeds Walk in the light, bring your teeth in the light, walk in the light as he is in the light. And then you, you will have fellowship and then you'll connect one with another. And then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all of your sin, all of your struggles. But it really starts with me saying, okay, okay, I'm going to bring all of my deeds into the light and I am going to walk in the light. You may not even know what that looks like today. You, you really may not know, but you start by bringing your deeds, your thoughts, your problems, your issues, uh, bring it to a safe place and begin to unload with yeah. someone that you trust and someone that you know cares. It will give you hope. Absolutely. And for those who don't believe they have a story or for those who don't know how to share their story, for those who have never shared their story, that's a scary thing. And it finding is. someone to trust and, and the story starter guide kind of walks you through how to get that going. Such an amazing resource there. Um, I want to talk really quickly about your books. You have some books out, Auntie Anne, my story with with illustrations. Well, that's a great little storybook, uh, Mike. If you want to know... If you, if you want to know about my life, the, the simplicity of it all, it's in that little, it's a very sh- small little uh, book, but but you're right. It, it tells uh, the reader what life was like for me. And each page has a different part of my story and illustration. So that's a very easy read, a quick read, uh, but tells you a lot about who I am. 
And another you wrote in 2008 is... Yes. So then in 2008, I published uh, the book called Twist of Faith. And that is uh, my story. My husband and I, my, our whole story is uh, just timeless. It's it's always there. I mean, uh, yeah. it's a great read. It tells you everything that you want to know about me and maybe more than what you care to know about me. <laughs> it's all right there. <laughs> And did I hear you right? You have uh, in last year, October yes. of 2019, That's you have correct. a new book. Yes, and it's called The Secret Lies Within. And what we want you to know is to understand that you have the power to unlock that secret. So pick up that book as well. It's really, uh, it's really a, a, an inside-out look at overcoming trauma and finding purpose in your pain. So I recommend that book highly if you're in the middle of some deep, dark places in your life and uh, pick it up and it will uh, help you to, to know how to move forward. And then, awesome. and then, Mike, we also have a book that's coming out, I believe, next year, uh, Overcoming uh, to Lead. So it's going to be a book. It is a book. It's completed now. We're uh, in the editing stages of it. So that will be aired, probably uh, published, I should say, probably next year. Looking forward to that. It's all awesome. about business. Yeah. Well, that's a great lead in for me to ask you to come back sometime and talk more with us. I would, I would love, love that. And I'm sure that our, our uh, listeners would as well. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for persevering through the technology and for sharing all of those personal things about your life that I know will encourage those that are listening. Uh, you've been a great blessing and we thank you so much. You're welcome. And you keep up the good work. So what is your pretzel story? Is God leading you through a difficult journey right now? If so, do you see God's hand in that journey or do you just find yourself wondering why it's happening? I know, I've been there. It's easy to be in a place of deep despair and feel isolated and alone, just like Ann described. But we want you to hear this. There is hope. We mentioned the many times through Ann's life she could have easily just given up. You know, there's a popular quote around that says, it's okay to not be okay, and it's true. However, it's not okay just to stay there. Seek help. Share your secrets with someone that you trust. Resolve to find peace and joy in Jesus and allow him to heal you. Sometimes after healing, there will be scars, and that's okay too. They are a reminder that God is always there he will bring you through. Just keep your eyes on him. Your story probably won't involve pretzels like Ann's story does, but God has a unique story for you to tell. If you already have a story to share, then share it. We need to share our stories with others to encourage one another. Speaking of stories, be sure to join us next week as we have another conversation of hope with Christian rock singer and American Idol alum, Colton Dixon. Colton has some exciting news to share, and you'll hear about his story right here on Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope. Be sure to tell your friends about this podcast, subscribe, rate, and review it so we can continue to grow. It's all about reaching as many as possible with the hope of Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks again for joining us, and remember, if your life is grounded in Jesus, even in the darkest times, there is hope.